There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. One thing I wanted to kick uh, this off is going back to a question uh, I asked before and we didn't quite get an answer out of any one of us, is the data behind the plastic breakdown. So in, in stormwater runoff, we look at uh, bed load, which is basically like rubble, mm. um, gross pollutants, and then we look at sediment, mm. uh, and we've also got uh, soluble pollutants. In your mission and in what you've seen over the last 10 years, are you guys going to start looking into, the, you know, I guess the different sizes, how it's travelling? Is that something data-wise that you're looking at or is it more where it's coming from? Yeah, microplastic definitely. Um, obviously that's been an emerging issue and uh, increasing in, in prominence in conversation. So we've received some grant funding and we're also partners with another project that's looking at just trying to get some baseline data on microplastics. I think it's critically important because, once again, unless you know, you can't make informed decisions. So a lot of opportunities for people, um, citizen science and whatnot, going out there and sampling and then trying to create some understanding of where it's coming from. I think the whole micro and nanoplastic space is just – it's like the the next frontier, right? Mm. Um particularly not just what's in the environment, what's in our food, what's in you know the beverages that we drink. I think a couple of years ago we were all alarmed we found out there's microplastic in beer. I think that's a big oh, one really? for everyone to be concerned about. <laughs> <laughs> I am full of plastic. <laughs> full of something. <laughs> Carrots. Um, a couple of years ago there was another one that they looked at, you know, bottled water around yeah. the world and found um, 225 pieces of plastic per litre of, uh, of water in, in bottled water brands from all around the world. And Sorry, say that again, 225 pieces of microplastic per litre. in. So a, like a, a, I'm not going to use names, pump. Uh, Franklin, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Like, are you uh, saying that's? Microplastics. In every single bottle. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, wow, I didn't know that. Yep. When was the last time you bought a bottled bit of bottled water? <sighs> Couldn't tell you. Oh, yeah. I, was, I have the, yeah. Hip and groovy multi-use yeah, bottles. Yeah, well, I do too. But sometimes you just have to. I was on a plane, little Dash 8, Qantas, heading up to Coffs Harbour, and I was with uh, the, the Channel 9 um, reporter, Raffaella, and had the, the um, camera guy to my left. It was 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, feeling pretty dusty. <laughs> didn't, didn't know them from a bar of soap. And the lady walks down. 
offering, you know, water. And it's one of those really small mm. little ones. And I th- so parched. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> and, and I sort of, uh, thankfully the lady on the plane <laughs> offered Raffaella, uh, the reporter, you know, the water first. And I, you know, just looked to see whether she's going to take one. And as soon as she did, I'm like, give me the, give me the goddamn water. <laughs> but I was that thirsty. Yeah. But then I'm like, you know, but, but but that's the thing about solutions as well. They have to be simple and convenient. Like if you are thirsty and you're sitting on a plane and dying of dehydration, like of course you're going to grab a, a water. And if it comes in a bottle, well, unfortunately you're probably going to grab that. Oh, but that's my whole point. But yeah. So I, I think a lot of the solutions, whatever they may be, have to be simple and convenient. And also, if 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 anything, actually a superior product to. Well, I, I actually on a, on another Virgin plane, I uh, asked if they could fill up my water bottle. And I, they didn't quite do the curtain right, so then they and they said, "Sir, put your pants back on." <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but as I was looking around, they're taking it out of one plastic bottle, plastic bottle, filling up mine and bring it back. Oh, to me. really? Well, ah. well the, yeah, that's the only drinking water they normally have on a plane. Yeah, because oh, wow. you can't. Whatever you do, don't drink water on a plane. Don't brush it. If you ever brushing your teeth, don't use the water that comes out of there. Apparently, it's mank. There you go. So there's a good example, I suppose, in that scenario. So hopefully when you are travelling, you do take your reusable bottle Mm. with you and filling up your reusable bottle from one of those 1.5 litre large water jugs is going to be a lot better than the hydration required from, say, three or five of those little 250 Mm. mil Mm. ones that you're going to be consuming. So just making those, you know, rational decisions, I suppose, in the context of reducing your plastic footprint is where I'd be sort of skewing. I had an idea the other day of... You know, why are coffee shops not, you know, the uptake of, of reusable cups? Well, there's a couple of things here. Uh, health issues. So if you bring your coffee cup into a cafe, who's responsible for cleaning it? Hopefully you've got a clean cup going in, but, but if, you if, you, if you don't... I mean, it depends on customer service, right? I think a lot of people try and kind of wave the flag about the hygiene and there's a lot of people like especially when you're going in and using your own container to go and visit the you know the butcher or the fishmonger or whatever and there's this sort of deeply ingrained idea that there's somehow they're the ones that are going to get sued if you get sick mm. and that's actually a furphy there's no yeah, real what... policies and laws around this so i think just being um respectful and being um you know friendly you can you can go you can you can overcome these obstacles oh, i'm not saying i'm i'm, I'm what so it I'm sounds like to do. A, you're right it sounds like you're busting myth that that myth of the cafe okay it's going to be suing. a busting myth until yeah. some mum and mossman their kid gets sick and then they're going to blame it on that and then it's going to be an outcry because I've got a mate of mine who's a cafe owner in, in here in Manly, Fairlight Cafe, great cafe. The amount of re- reusable coffee cups that he's now, you know, and he's promoting it, but he's like, well, then we're going to start washing them. And so I'm trying to get him, and I think he will, is to, you know, like at a pub, how they quickly wash the, yeah. the, the pints out, he's going to actually install one of them to make it more efficient mm. so more people come and use it. But all I'm doing is bringing it up. Mm, so yeah. going back to my idea of saying, well, what about having a company that has uh, – so you have one on George Street where you've got your cup, whether it's a coffee cup or a milkshake cup, and all it is is a wash station. So wherever you are out on the on the move, you're not relying on the individual cafes and you know all the all the places you get your drinks from. You've got little stations where you can go quickly sanitize your your cup and move on. Maybe that's a solution. Maybe that's the enterprise that we need to, because not every cafe or every drink outlet is going to. 
put that infrastructure in place. Yeah. And I think that's really important to, yeah. to try and drive initiatives. Like what, what we're trying to do is drive change. And whenever you change something, the, the systems that you currently have in place, the status quo, have to change as well. Just like your haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we can't feel as though, oh, look, we're going to go through it to a plastic-free economy, but we're going to have the same processes and, and, and systems in place. There's going to be change. Yeah, well, but there's also going to be opportunities to actually, um, from a business perspective, from a from a whatever perspective, there's going to be actually opportunities to actually benefit from those changes. So you talked about the modem uh, example before. I reckon if, if Telstra um, got wind of that bid, there'd be probably some enterprising guy out, out there in the, the suburbs of Sydney going, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go out and actually collect these modems, strip them for parts and actually make a, make a dollar out of it. There's going to be actually changes. And I think the businesses – we, we do know the business-as-usual approach in terms of this uh, – I think I've heard Tim talk about you know, our treatment of the ocean. We take everything we want and we throw everything back that we don't want. That arrangement, that a relationship that we currently have with the ocean and I guess the wider planet isn't good enough. It has to change but I guess to um, to facilitate those those changes, the systems that we currently have in place will have to change as well. And for me, that's exciting. And that presents a whole bunch of opportunities for various individuals and enterprises. And they are changing. I was um, out at the head offices of one of the major supermarkets last week. They've obviously been feeling the pressure on this issue of single-use plastics and they'd instituted a system where reusable coffee cups for all staff, this is a complex with thousands of staff, all staff using reusable ones and they basically deposit them into a special bin and they're all cleaned, sanitised and made available at the cafes that are throughout the premises. So, you know, that's an example. There's initiatives similar to that that are even now trialling out in communities. There's a great project called Green Canteen where you subscribe to a coffee cup service and all the participating cafes in the community are on board. So you tap your, you know, your, your, your membership card, you get your coffee in the reusable cup and you can just take it back to any of the other participating cafes and they'll clean it and make it available for the next person. The brother of the, um, of the, of the woman who founded Keep Cup, they're now working on a project in Melbourne which is reusable, sterilised containers for food, for lunches, for the CBD of Melbourne, like – this stuff is uh, is definitely happening, and it's all built around the idea of service, which yeah. is sort of back to what we were talking about before with the the circular economy. Services will come in that will will change the the nature of the and, game, and that's right. So the the services and the businesses are changing, but I think getting back to the point I was trying to make before was that's kind of being driven by the individuals wanting those improvements in the services and the businesses. You know, if I, if I do want to go to a, a shop and actually not have to use plastic bags, and if I do want a uh, a bunch of I don't know. Uh, hipster cacao nibs and oats and and nuts and stuff. I I want to go to a shop where I can actually fill them in 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 a in a brown paper bag uh, or a reusable bag that I can actually physically take home and not actually have to feel as though I need to or have to be in the situation where I need to throw out you know stacks of plastic. Mm. It's incredible. It's amazing the changes. So for ex- from my perspective, for example, as an individual, I got a compost bin about a year ago. I've got this edible garden in my backyard and I. I basically I, I chuck all my food scraps, so a lot of fruit and veggies and all that sort of stuff, just the peels and whatever, into this compost bin, and I eat a humongous amount of food. He does. I- <laughs> Mate, I've had a smoothie. They are bloody good smoothies, yeah. and uh, like he puts five bananas in one smoothie. <laughs> I need to eat for a week. I eat a lot of bananas, as an example, but I chuck so much in this compost bin, and I never get to the top. And every so often. I pull the, um, I guess, the detritus at the bottom of the, what did they call it, the, the, the compost, and spread it out in my garden. It's fantastic. And the, I, don't ha- I, I probably have probably a handful of stuff that I put in my garbage bin at the end of the week. It's just like 
it's, and that's probably only because I've got a couple of dogs who have a few other requirements and stuff. So it's easy. And I guess – And enjoyable, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. I, I, Jeremy comes around to my house, I go, come have a smoothie, and I'll show you my compost bin. Yeah, he, he is obsessed with getting people over to his house for smoothies. It's, it's almost quite creepy. <laughs> no, but I think, I think getting back to my original point, like as an example, I go to a shop. Um, called uh, Market Organics, and they have all their bulk, all their you know uh, grocery items like the bananas. Uh, they're uh, everything's not, not nothing's in wrapping. And if I get the the bulk food like nuts and seeds and grains, whatever, I, I just basically fill them up in a little brown paper bag, weigh them, and whatever, and that's it. And I, and I actually physically go to that shop because I can do that. I don't go to the shop that I used to because they everything's wrapped in plastic. Simple as that. So I've made a commercial decision and actually supported a business that's actually doing cool stuff, in my opinion. And I yep. think you're going to see more and more of that well, happening. Well, it's going to become mainstream, as, as sort of Tim indicated before. Yeah, one, exactly. of the, one of the major supermarkets is doing yeah. that internally. They're going to be start doing it externally soon. I, 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 there's a supermarket over in New Zealand called the Naked Shop, I think, or Naked something. They've just come out with selling all their fruit and veggies and everything in there is, is naked and – uh, they are skyrocketing. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. There's a big movement across uh, Europe and other places for plastic-free aisles. There's already a plastic-free supermarket. And once again, back to that market research, they're all got their finger on the pulse, these big companies, and they're seeing the shift in consumer demands and expectations. And there will be plastic-free lines in our totally. major supermarkets before long, in my opinion, just like there is lines of organic food, just like there's lines of whatever it might be, FSC certified fish, you know, hormone-free beef, it's all being led by humans um, who, who expect a new normal. And, and I guess my, uh, I guess uh, this is where I tip my hat to take three for the sea, which I am not sure. You don't have a hat on. <laughs> you, you actually <laughs> With, just, it, with you a stabilist hairdo? Come on, I wouldn't wear a hat in a thousand years. But uh, I, I, think, I think the individuals are changing their behaviour and I think a big reason for that is the educational work and building awareness that Take Three for the Sea and other groups do to actually, you know, make that connection between what we do in our day-to-day activities actually has a direct impact on the stuff that we love. You know, you love going to the beach and going for a surf. I love going to the beach and going for a swim. Jeremy does a nudie run where he, wherever he can. So, um, mainly more, mainly <laughs> eight a.m. every morning. <laughs> so we 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 obviously uh, have a great affinity for the ocean and we want to protect it. But we also and I think that's pretty consistent for the va- very large proportion of the population. And so I think it's like eighty five percent of Australians live within fifty k of the coast. So we often have a great affinity for the beach. And if not the beach, it's our river, it's our our, our creeks, it's our lakes, etc. And getting back to the original point, we know that the uh, impacts or the behavior has a direct impact on the health of those water bodies um and and the work that take three for the sea do in terms of empowering educating and creating awareness it's fantastic it's a simple message and it's a great one and it's gone global 129 countries you got it 129 and counting does that make you Excited, like you must be super. Like you know, what, if you've been around, how, how long would take three for the sea was founded? Yeah, ten years ten in October. Years. Is, beyond, is this within your, like, is this beyond your wildest dreams? Sitting around and doing podcast interviews and radio. No, I don't think it's uh, sort of with, with <laughs> us too. By no, the way. Not, not us too. But you know, you, you, the message the, and the impact that you've had is this something you actually envisaged? Or yeah, look, I think um, when I stepped off that, you know, that moving train in into this sort of new arena um i knew very well it would be an open-ended journey full of unexpected 
you know, detours and uh, and pit stops. But you know, I'm, I'm I'm having a great time with it. I think back to sort of earlier points. You know, I'm absolutely proud and chuffed of what Take Three for the Sea has been able to achieve. But I think what I'm really impressed by is the broader community coming mm. on board. It's the people that are you know starting their own initiatives that were once you know of this attitude and now they're of this attitude. Like they're shifting across. And to be honest, like even just you guys, I mean, the whole conversation before I sat down and we started recording was just so impressed that, you know, you're taking a stance here of being the agitator, being the disruptor. You could have just gone, kept on ticking along with, with business as usual, but you didn't. And you've done that because of the the atmosphere that everyone collectively has created no, you're bang and on. seizing on an opportunity, which yeah. is freaking exciting. Oh, yeah. yeah, No, you're right. It's people like you that actually – Inspired people like us totally. to go, bugger it. Let's do, do it. it. We can we can do it. We can have a crack. And if we and if we fail, and our definition of fail, but at least we're having a crack. You know. Yeah. One, look, one thing, just a segue. I love the word segue. <laughs> I've got this idea. So we've got reusable coffee cups uh, that we give. Uh, we we sell online in our online shop, and then the the, the the money goes to people like yourself and so forth. Well, I was sitting there with Reed Butler and Brad say having lunch, and I want to work out, by giving someone one coffee cup, can we identify or find out what that costs to the environment is? By, by someone using that for a whole year, can we find a monetary value around what we are stopping going to landfill, what are we stopping going to the ocean? Do you reckon that's possible? Because I've got an idea. I reckon we can start giving these coffee cups away and building a Ocean Protect brand or likes on Instagram or whatever to then build up an entity which then covers the cost of the coffee cup in the first place. What do you guys think? Absolutely. I think there's sort of two parts to what I gathered from that as well is, you know, reusable merchandise for the sake of it is is a kind of concern, right? Because there's a lot of embodied energy and materials that goes into anything that we end up, you know, creating. So life cycle assessment uh, and analysis is a huge realm, right? People go and say, well, you can't just go and create a calico bag and give them out to everyone mm-hmm. expecting that you're going to have a net benefit mm-hmm. because if people don't use that calico bag yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 times or 100 yeah. times, whatever it might be, then you're having a negative one there. But, but coffee cups is different because people, if you drink coffee, then you're likely to have one coffee a day. There's no point having 30 reusable coffee cups either. This is true. I yeah. mean, I get given a lot, right? You yeah, yeah. me, I, every time I go into a school or a corporate office, someone wants to thrust some sort of yeah. brand. Well, we've, we've actually got some to give you. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to give you now. Not give you no. Jeez, no. Bugger <laughs> you. I always make a point of giving it to someone else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. No, but, but okay. But going back to quantifying what, but by stopping 365 yep. coffee cups going to landfill, what, what, what's that value to our society? What's the value to our planet? As soon as we can start getting that data, mm. data, we can then work back to the solution. Yeah. And, and that comes back to what we're saying about data's the, the, the most exciting thing in the new world, I guess. Data is going to be a, uh, a line on your balance sheet from a company's point of view. The more data we have, the better we are going to be able to equip ourselves with the psyche and, uh, I guess, wants and desires to change because we know we can change from the yep. data that's in front of us. Yeah. I'll make a comment. I guess it's in two. It's two ways to look at it. Um, if you give someone who didn't have a, a, a reusable coffee, coffee cup already, and they use that every day instead of buying two or three cups of coffee, obviously you can easily quantify the benefits of saying, okay, well, it's three hundred sixty-five times a year they would have they haven't used uh, a disposable coffee cup two or three times. So what's that? About a thousand coffee cups you've stopped going to landfill. Maybe a portion of those would have actually ended up in our waterways through littering or falling off the back but of the But what does it cost for a thousand coffee cups to go to landfill? Yeah, and, that, and that's where – that's so I guess I'll, I'll get to that in a sec, but I guess fundamentally you know you, you're making a, a significant benefit by reducing – by stopping a thousand coffee cups a year going into landfill or and a portion of those going into a waterway maybe. Um, but then in the second part of the – so fundamentally, you know it's a good thing, okay? But from a gut instinct, you know it's a good thing. But second part, second way of looking at it is where environmental econom- economists get involved and they actually try and put a dollar value of the benefit of that. And I, I think from my experience working with a few environmental economists, it's actually really, really hard to put actually a, a monetary benefit of an environmental good. So it's actually really hard to actually – Oh, okay, I'll give you an example. So, how how do you put a financial? How do you quantify the financial benefit of stopping a thousand coffee cups from going into well, landfill? Okay, what does it cost to get the guy to come up and pick your rubbish to take it, drive it out to bloody Western Sydney to then send it to Melbourne or wherever we're sending it to at the moment? What does that cost? That's the question, and it's actually well, a, well, can I tell you? It's actually a very difficult question to answer. Well, well, it, well. Someone must be smarter than us. Someone must be able to work it out. <laughs> I'm sure it's not hard to You know, well, really? Like, well, what's yeah. it, what's, what's All it? I'm saying is actually a very difficult thing to do, but I think we've actually haven't done it very, very often in the past because often we just don't put in a value on the environment, which is crazy. The only project I've actually worked on in, in 18 years of consultancy prior, prior to um, working for Ocean Protect was, was a stormwater management strategy we did for Lake Illawarra where we actually did a cost-benefit analysis of doing stormwater management and actually quantifying – the cost of putting in those assets versus the benefits, the economic benefits of actually reducing pollutant loads going into, our water, into Lake Illawarra. And look, long story short, the benefit of doing stormwater treatment significantly outweighed the costs. But that's one example where I've actually seen someone try to quantify the environmental benefits of doing that through, you know, for example, having a, a lake full of algae, for example, and, and not having tourists be able to use the lake has a direct economic consequence. But it's actually very rarely done. Unfortunately, we don't put a, a value on the environment. And often when we actually do, it doesn't include a whole bunch of non-tangible things that we just physically have a hard time quantifying. Okay. Well, let's make it our mission to start trying to find this out. Let's get JJ Richards on board. Mm. Let's ring up Cleanway. Let's – 
get someone on this podcast that can start to unfold yep. and find out these answers. Yeah, we've got we've got to start doing this. I agree, I agree. But getting one, back to the, yeah, you go, Tim. A good one, I guess, with the coffee cups would be even just sort of looking at you know the volume of a single use coffee cup and you know your metric there of three hundred and sixty five if you're having one coffee a year, and then start to look at well you know frequency of waste collection services like you've identified mm. there. So there'd be some things you could do. I think. Um, that were pretty light that would get you some way towards yeah. having a nice metric you could hold in your hand. But I think to, to Brad's point, this idea of externalities, right, you know, the environment is just this externality that's never been incorporated into any modelling. What does is, externality mean? Just essentially like in a business context, like you're not factoring that cost in. Okay. The, the true cost of the of the product of the single-use coffee cup is that expectation that council or a business will ship that waste away and someone else will manage that landfill. It's not factored into the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So I think we're seeing a lot of problems here on the macro scale around how the environment doesn't have any true yeah. value. Yeah. And some people look at this in the context, like there's a line in the documentary Blue that I'm involved with where a guy who works at Greenpeace and he's campaigning uh, for tuna fisheries improvements in the Philippines and other people have talked about, well, what is the actual value of a tuna in the environment? You know that some bluefin tuna might fetch $500,000 to a million dollars on the on the fish market in Tokyo, but if there's only a handful of these species left in the environment, can we actually put a value on that? What does the value of this tuna exist in the oceans where it's part of the important ecosystem and a species that's going to go extinct unless we intervene? Could that be more than the five hundred thousand or million dollars that someone's going to go and pay for it to eat sushi? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of conversations here around how we can bring financial values to the environment, to wildlife, to endangered species, so that they do get factored into these decisions. I mean, the oceans are a big one, right? Because that yeah. is once you're out there in the high seas, you've got factory fishing fleets out there just mm-hmm. raping and pillaging from the ocean. And it's like the global, that's our stuff. Yeah. That's our. Yeah. That's a commodity that belongs to all of us, yet people are going out there and taking it and taking it and taking it and the oceans are collapsing yeah. for someone else's gain. Yeah. yeah. We've got to try and change that economic argument. Yeah, yeah, it's the balance, isn't it? Getting back to the, and I've heard you That's talk really about, interesting. like That's for the really for the listeners out there, we, we've probably actually haven't focused on the the problem of plastic in the ocean, which I guess is sort of how we started the conversation. But can can you give us uh, can you give the listeners a feel for the, the 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 extent of plastic pollution in our marine environment? Like how bad is it? Yeah, look, I think it's um it's becoming pretty common knowledge now that it's particularly bad. But if you need to get the um the snapshot, you know, your statistic there of more plastic by weight in the oceans than fish by 2050. It's a garbage truck every minute worth of plastic being dumped into the oceans. Um, most of that, the 20 top polluting nations in the world are in developing mm-hmm. nations. A lot based in in Asia. There's other statistics out there which I'm somewhat sort of challenged by, but I believe they've been peer reviewed that. of the plastic going into the oceans comes from 10 major river systems. Yeah, there's there's quite a – I I heard 87% from five. Yeah, well, there you go. But I guess what the sentiment behind those statistics is that, once again, you know, it's the catchment where this is all coming from and in some parts of the world where giant river systems and deltas drain massive urban catchments in developing regions – the lack of infrastructure, education, corporate responsibility, all those things are meaning that it's just stuff that's just getting flushed off the off the land. And how does that how does that impact on our ocean environment? Well obviously the basics are that some animals 
will interact with that plastic so they might get caught in it. So something might uh, easily get caught in some abandoned rope or even a, you know, an item like a shopping bag, something can get caught in it. And, you know, you get a, a plastic bag caught around your hand, you go and grab your other hand and you take it off. But if you're a penguin, <laughs> you can't do that, right? Yeah. If you're a seabird, you can't just reach around and, and, and pull a, you know, a ring pull off your beak. So there's uh, all sorts of problems with entanglement. But I think particularly where we are deeply concerned is about in ingestion, right? You see yeah. the images of the whales, you see the sim- images of the seabirds. Turtles. They're out there. Know. They're just they're responding to every environmental trigger that they've had for the millions of years that they've evolved that this looks like food, it smells like food, it must be food. Yeah. And they're never going to change their ways. Mm, we can't no. educate mm, seabirds to no. not eat plastic bottle caps. Yeah. Sorry, and sorry and yeah, that's exactly it. Turtles have been around for 150 million years. Don't eat that. No, yeah. It's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so the, we have to intervene. We have to stop this. And the stats, like I've heard them, like it's something like 90 to 100% of seabirds have got plastic in their stomach. There's a perception that it's like all the plastic's coming from Asia, but even in Moreton Bay, which is I guess where – a lot of southeast Queensland drains too. Thirty percent of sea turtles are washing up on the beaches of Moreton Bay because of plastic ingestion. Yeah, and that's thirty yeah. percent directly because that died directly. Derived, of plastic. Yeah, and yeah. obviously we had Daryl Blatch on our podcast who had a, a whale in the Philippines with forty kilos of plastic in his stomach, and it's just gruesome. And I've seen the, some of the footage that you've shown on your in your talks and websites, just albatrosses and seabirds just full of plastic and like you said they they can't tell the difference like uh, this is something i actually learned from daryl was like essentially you see a silhouette of of something in the water and you and you know whales and other species can't distinguish between whether it's squid or whether it's a um some sort of plastic item so they and once they put it in their mouth that that's consumed they can't they haven't got the ability to spit it out or anything like that and that goes straight into their bellies and obviously impacts them massively well those the thing that has this for this is when I sort of get really, you know, emo and I, I don't externalise a lot of, you know, how I feel about these things sort of deeply, but they definitely affect me. But a lot of those examples that have come up recently around like the sperm whales and the beaked whales, these are the whales that dive down to huge depths in the ocean. So they live and feed in pitch black. So what they've actually got is a type of sonar to detect food. Now, what those beaked whales and the sperm whales are actually looking for down there is these huge, long strands of gelatinous plankton. That's what they eat. So when they're out there sending those pings, sheets of plastic, same feedback. So they're going down there thinking in the pitch black that they're consuming big, delicious strands of plankton that are going to keep them alive and kicking and they're ending up with 40 kgs of plastic. And that's what Daryl said in in his podcast – once they've ingested plastic, you know, if you ate a plastic um, bag, you're going to get constipated. Same thing. So these whales up on the surface that have got plastic in them, obviously they're becoming weaker and weaker. So they can't dive down that deep to even try and get that nutrient. So they stay up on the top where there's typically more plastic. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's devastating. It's, it's devastating and it's depressing. And, and what I said before, like a lot of environmental issues are depressing and devastating, but this is one like ocean plastic, the amount of plastic in our oceans and waterways. This is a, a massive problem. It's depressing, it's devastating, but the solutions are actually within our reach. Well, they are. They're actually they, really they, simple. They we, are. This is what I get excited about, that the solutions are actually, we know what to do. We, well, just we do know it. what to do with plastic. Yeah. You know, and a part of, of our work is – Right, plastic is just one contaminant, you know. So what I really want to try and achieve as Ocean Protect is by using plastic, and I've said it before, it's given us a voice. 
if we're going to stop plastic going into our oceans, we might as well at the same bloody time stop everything that is contaminating our waterways. Mm. You know, so if you're going to do a job, you do it once. So I'm just fearful not fearful, that's the wrong word, that we're going to solely focus on stopping plastic going into our waterways and, and and forget about the other stuff. We'll be like, oh, we should have thought about that. We should have thought about that. So as Ocean Protect and as what we're trying to achieve, plastic is one contaminant. It's it's easy because you can see it, but we've got to start thinking about, and we are starting the conversation about what else is going down our drains because people don't know. Yeah, but it's more than that. It's it's and this is why I really like take three for the sea. It's not about just talking about it and, and creating awareness. It. It's that's what it's what uh, was it was it uh, Greta uh, Greta Thunberg Thunberg um, said in her climate change speech, which which caused a lot of uh, attention and and, and um, action. She says, I don't want you to be sort of advocates and and be talking about it. I want you to panic. I want you to actually do something about it right now. No, no questions asked. And this is where I actually what do what should and what should we do essentially? Like I, I think we should be panicking about this. You know, the more more fish than more more plastic than fish by twenty fifty. That's scary. I don't want to spend another two years talking you about it. You don't even it. eat fish. What are you worried about? <laughs> I care about sea turtles and whales. I care about dolphins. That's why that's why I don't eat fish. But what do we do about it? And this is why a question for you, Tim, because you you're you're the guru here. We're a we're a couple of Couple of guys Speak who just for yourself. <laughs> couple Don't of talk about yourself, <laughs> Tim. What 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 do we need to do? Look, um, it sounds soft, but keep doing what we're doing because yeah. I've been plugging away for a decade, and I've never been as excited about change as what I see right now. But that does not mean rest on your laurels and be complacent by any means. It means take it up a notch. Always do that one more thing. Yeah. I think it's a really really good thing that we try and build into our organisational culture uh, and I certainly build into um, the impression that I want to be, you know, creating uh, in broader society. So, yes, congratulate yourself, give yourself a pat on the back and then go straight and do one more thing. Mm. So at the moment we've um, we've come a long way to almost winning the social conversation, I think, with War on Waste, with the Blue Planet 2, all these things are showing when mass media bands around these issues, we massively increase and elevate the number of people who are part of mm. this movement. That then needs to immediately translate into what we can do in our sphere of yeah. influence. Yeah. So, you know, you at Starbucks this morning, you can have that conversation like, oh, great, gee, I didn't realise you were going <laughs> to give me that veggie roll on a plastic plate with sauce wrapped in plastic. 10 people in a day question yeah. that Starbucks staff person, yeah. that's going to get brought up at a regional meeting. Yeah. That's going to get fed up to the chain of command and someone's going to say, gee, public sentiment, is <laughs> this is actually no good. Yeah. So never miss an opportunity. Sign those petitions that come across your way. I mean, federal election coming up, like definitely vote with your wallet. You know, get educated. These are all things that we're doing already, yeah. but we can just do them you know, we can do more. Yeah, right. Right, uh, just segue again, Tim Silverwood, uh, if you could have <laughs> four people for dinner, uh, dead or alive, who would they be and why? God, you sprung this one on me, didn't you? Um, that's good. I reckon um, – I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you, Brad. I'm not going to ask you. Really? <laughs> some big environmental heavy hitters. So, you know, David Attenborough would be there. I think Obama would have to be there. Maybe even David Suzuki. Not bad. I don't even know who David Suzuki is. He's oh. a really amazing environmentalist, originally Canadian. Mm. Oh, incredible. I've heard the name, but I yeah, yeah, yeah. He was probably when I was growing up mm. as a teenager. His his books were probably some of mm. the first ones that were yeah they were, they were very accessible. 
And we'll throw an Aussie in the mix. We'll bring in Tim Flannery. He can come too. <laughs> no, they all blokes. That's yeah, right. oh, you yeah. know what? <laughs> Sylvia Ace, Earl, she can come. I asked Ace the same question. He said the same thing at the end. He was like, oh, I've got all blokes. Well, that was just something a little bit lighthearted to finish what has been a fantastic podcast. Tim, you, as I said at the start, you inspire, you know, literally thousands and thousands of people. You are in 129 countries. You're 10 million pieces of plastic you're removing from the oceans and it's just going to get better and better. So, look, congratulations. I know it's been a hard slog, 10 years, and, you know, I look forward to the next 10 years and seeing what you're going to achieve. But uh, from myself point of view and Brad's, uh, thank you very much for coming on, spending your time. I know you do a lot of this stuff. I think I'm even listening to you later on in Bondi doing another speech this afternoon. So I know that you're, uh, you're certainly on the wagon, but just want to say thank you. And thanks to you guys too. I really, um, you know, this this excites me. I think we've spoken a bit, a bit about it today, but it is about creating the circumstances that allow groups and businesses like yourselves to take it up a notch. Mm. And this is this is the solution in action right here. Yeah. So we're getting there. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.